Don't spend summer sweating your home's AC. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are giving you over $1,000 in rebates when you purchase a Daikin Fit Smart System. This revolutionary system is designed to fit your space and your budget. Or upgrade to a Daikin AC today and save with payment options as low as $69 per month. Elevate your home's comfort this summer with a new AC from Legacy and Daikin. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to qualify now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome, everybody, to Football Never Sleeps, the aspiring-to-be-viral YouTube Notre Dame football show that will probably make you wave your shirt around in the air above your head, or at least we hope it will. If not, hopefully it'll inspire you to ask us questions. We'll work those in while we go through our Notre Dame topics tonight, and there's a lot going on, including a big commitment today. We got a kickoff time for the Duke game down in Durham that follows the Ohio State game, but we're going to focus first on the top 10 matchup at Notre Dame Stadium this Saturday night between number nine Notre Dame and number six Ohio State. First, Tyler will give you all the particulars about everything you have to do with relationship to our channel, hopefully, and uh, and then how to ask questions. Yeah, so make sure you are subscribed to us here on YouTube, Inside Indy Sports. Uh, this is where you will get all of our YouTube content. If you subscribe, you can turn on your notifications. Make sure you get alerts when we are coming up with content. So that'll remind you every Monday night when we're live. Football never sleeps during the season. Um, every Friday um, when we post our Place Your Bets video with prop bets and predictions for the upcoming game. And then and during um, the weekend, overnight, Saturday or Sunday, um, when we do our post-game takeaways. And obviously that'll be more Sunday than Saturday this weekend with a night game in Notre Dame Stadium. But um, it will be there ready for you in the morning when you wake up if you're not up super late and still wired from that Notre Dame-Ohio State game on Saturday. Like Eric mentioned, submit comments to us, questions. We want to answer as many questions as we can during the show. Um, so make sure you click through to YouTube's website or app to be able to do that, you won't be able to do that if you're watching this embedded on our webs, our website, insideandysports.com, or on our message board. Um, so make sure you've clicked through to do that. If you're on a desktop, you should be able to see the chat to the right-hand side. If you're on a mobile device of some side of some uh, type, make sure that you see the chat box below our talking voices. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you can say hello, we'd like to see those uh, familiar names in the chat um, to see who's hanging out with us live here on Monday night. And if you missed our little commercial at the beginning, Football Never Sleeps is brought to you by my favorite furnace and air conditioning company. Got one in my house, Legacy Heating and Air. So we're going to roll into Ohio State Week, and we're going to start with maybe not the most exciting news of the day, but but it is very consequential maybe to the bottom line of this game, and that's injured players coming back this week. So what did we find out today? Tyler, about uh, availability of some of the starting players that missed last week's game against Central Michigan. Yeah, I think Marcus Freeman was happy to answer your injury questions today because he had <laughs> mostly good news. Uh, J.D. Bertrand, who was out last week with a concussion, is is back. D.J. Brown, who missed the game with a tight hamstring, is back. Um, it, it seems to me like the D.J. Brown thing was probably more of a precaution than anything, that there was no need to get him out there. Um, and, and play with a hamstring issue against Central Michigan. Mitchell Evans also missed the game uh, with a concussion, Notre Dame starting tight end. 
Um, he's not quite back and out of the concussion protocol yet, um, but he's on track to be back by the end of the week. Gabriel Rubio um, is TBD. He he will um, do it, make his first practice on Tuesday in his return from his arthroscopic knee surgery after the Navy game. Um, and so we'll see if, if all things go well. Marcus Freeman said that he would be available to play on Saturday. Um, the one person that we've been continuing to monitor, tight end Eli Raritan, the sophomore who's recovering from his second ACL injury, um, the most recent one being last October, is not quite back yet. So not good news for Eli Raritan yet, um, but uh, the rest of the tight ends have been stepping up, and certainly with Mitchell Evans likely getting back on the field, Notre Dame should be okay at the tight end position this Saturday. Right, and a couple more. Um, Sam Hartman, during his mini-press conference today after Marcus Freeman mentioned he had no lingering repercussions from getting a hit in the leg uh, during Saturday's Central Michigan victory. And we assume from Tyler talking to Obi, the young man that was <laughs> uh, the star of the video board on Saturday, that he does not have carpal tunnel yet from signing autographs uh, from his newfound fame. No carpal tunnel, but I think he might have a little bit of a sore shoulder from waving <laughs> this shirt around. He said he said he was nervous that his arm was going to fall off. They kept going to him so much, and that was his that was his one move. So we'll see if he uh, expands his arsenal on, on this coming Saturday. He'll be there, and I would be shocked if the Notre Dame video board does not feature him prominently at various times throughout the game on Saturday because he really got the crowd fired up. Um, and I imagine uh, folks will be excited to see him again this this coming weekend. Yeah, and um, I did ask Marcus if he um, had any space on the ND defensive line rotation for OB <laughs> if he wanted to join. He said, certainly brings the energy. <laughs> yeah, so. and Obi, Obi told me, if, if you haven't read read the story, I wrote a story this morning on InsideNDSports.com. I'd encourage you to read it. Um, but he told me that part of the reason he came to Notre Dame because he could play inner hall tackle football at Notre Dame um, and that was something that he thought was interesting. In addition to obviously all the other academic opportunities, he's a junior computer science major. Um, and actually, I didn't fit it in the story, but inner hall inner hall tackle football um, was ended this year. No longer they no longer play tackle football. There's only flag football um, because of a combination of a lack of participation and I think probably some injury concerns as well. So let's take a look at the thumbnail of the number six Ohio State. Buckeyes who have beaten uh, Indiana team that's expected to finish toward the bottom of the Big Ten standings this year. They've also taken on a couple of non-conference teams, FCS, Youngstown State, and FBS, Western Kentucky, who they beat 63-10 to 10 on Saturday. Probably their most impressive of the three games, at least offensively. And for quarterback Kyle McCord, so every week I kind of chart all these different statistical rankings for Notre Dame and all of their opponents, including Ohio State. And so there's nine offensive and nine defensive, five special teams. But of those nine offensive and nine defensive, Notre Dame has an advantage in 10 of them. Ohio State has an advantage of six, and they're tied in two of them. But, Tyler, as we look at these teams, do you think Notre Dame is checking the right boxes? Do you think this is as even of a matchup as Las Vegas kind of is suggesting it is with the Buckeyes being a three-point favorite? 
Yeah, I think they do. I mean, the most important box from my perspective is that is the quarterback's box um, and, and Sam Hartman's ability to have both the talent and experience to make plays in the passing game and, and not be rattled in big moments. Um, that is uh, a definite advantage, in my opinion, for Notre Dame in comparison to Kyle McCord, who is an inexperienced but talented quarterback and has shown, shown, shown some flashes um, here to start start the season. Um, I think beyond that, I think Notre Dame's checking some boxes with the pass efficiency def- defense. Certainly the box there is teams that Notre Dame has played so far, but you have to go out there and still make plays um, and make sure that you show that you can do those things. I think Notre Dame has shown an ability to make plays um, not just at the cornerback position with Benjamin Morrison, but at the safety position as well. And so I think that is important. Um, And the running game and its ability to be an intrinsic part of the offense for Notre Dame seems to be there. There there were some struggles against NC State, but I think Notre Dame – has shown the ability that it can also be a big play running game. It's not just a big play passing game in the offense. There can be big plays from the running game, whether it's Audrick Estime, Jeremiah Love, Jadarian Price. Um, those guys have really shown an ability to hit big plays um, from the backfield, and I think that makes Notre Dame's offense really difficult um, to stop. So I, I think those are the boxes that are most important for Notre Dame and that have been good to see so far. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I, I think I always look at rush offense, rush defense, pass efficiency, total defense, and turnover margin. And Notre Dame is really good in three of those, and they're trending well in the other two. And when you compare it against Ohio State, they're it's pretty close in all those categories. Notre Dame kind of wins those three to two, but they're close in those. And And you're right about the quarterbacks. Um, you look at last year, it was C.J. Stroud versus Tyler Buckner in that game. And it was Tyler Buckner's first start, first college start. He had played some in a niche role, but first college start. And C.J. Stroud was a future first-round draft pick who had been playing at a high level. And Notre Dame came out of that game 95th in the country in pass efficiency defense. They finished 41st. So this has been quite a climb to get up to number one, even if it has been against Navy, Tennessee State, Central Michigan, and NC State. Uh, It's still an accomplishment to be there a third of the way through the 2023 season. You know, there's still questions about both teams that are going to be answered on Saturday. And I think the biggest one for me with Notre Dame remains what does the pass rush look like mm-hmm. Saturday? Now, I know Marcus, and I, and I pointed this out in my own writing, that a product of your pressure, quarterback pressure, is this high pass efficiency defense rating. And it's also your um, takeaways, which Notre Dame has done well with interceptions to this point. But I think this is a game, especially with – Ohio State's elite wide receivers and an inexperienced starting quarterback that Notre Dame really needs to take advantage. They need to get sacks, need to get him behind the chains sometimes and do all the things that they've been doing in terms of incompletions, hurried throws, and that kind of thing. 
Eric, let's since we're talking about statistical categories, let's throw in this question from Bob Alvey. Um, Eric, how does your how does each team rank in your five, four to five metrics for a championship caliber team? Okay, so we are looking. Let's start with rush offense. Notre Dame is 26th. Ohio State, surprisingly, is 68th. And they brought that up some against uh, Western Kentucky, who was came into that game as the worst rushing defense in the country. That's surprising to me. Then we look yeah. at pass efficiency. Notre Dame is third in team pass efficiency. Ohio State is 24th. Individually, Kyle McCord is 12th. He came up 30 spots. Devin Brown had been quite playing quite a bit. They said, hey, look, uh, Kyle McCord's our starter. That was his best game. Then we go to rush defense. That's where Ohio State has an advantage. They're 19th. ND is 41st. Uh, some of that, you, you played a service academy that's triple option in your first game, and it's going to be a little bit skewed to the bad for, for Notre Dame until they get to maybe halfway through the season. Uh, but still, Ohio State has the advantage in there. In total defense, Ohio State third, Notre Dame fourth. So you have statistically two of the best defenses in the country. And then we go to turnover margin, and it's very close there. Notre Dame is 28th, and Ohio State is 29th. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Eric's work, which I believe Bob is, which is why I asked this, this question specifically, Eric, uses those five statistical categories as as measures because typically the the college football playoff contenders and national championship winners are very high up in the rankings. I don't know if there's a certain number that you say that they usually are usually reach. top 25. Okay. In at least four of them. It's very and, and usually five. It's very rare that somebody is only good at three of them. And usually then it's really outlier. I think LSU was lower and maybe rush offense the year they ran it. And that's just because they were so good at the their other pass teams. offense was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Their pass offense, Joe Burrow was ridiculous. So, and they could run when they needed to, they were just kind of built a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So, so let's, um, let's move to what you think is the strength of this Ohio state team and maybe where it's vulnerable as you kind of get a first look at them, Tyler. Because yeah. we never look ahead. <laughs> we, yeah, we never look ahead. Yeah, Ohio State. I'm glad to, to find out that's who they're playing this week. I was, uh, I was busy winning the interval. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 let's start with the weaknesses. I think that's let's give Notre Dame fans hope. I, the the running game, for you would expect, um, maybe Ohio State can't pound the ball to run to win the game the way it did last week or last season. Um, against Notre Dame, that was really what made the difference in the fourth quarter when Notre Dame couldn't stop Ohio State's running game. Um, and because the the running game isn't as effective, maybe that makes Ohio State's offense a little bit more predictable as being a little bit more pass-heavy than maybe it would like to be. Um, Ohio State hasn't been good on third down. Um, now, is that a statistical anomaly through only three games? Who knows? I think probably having an inexperienced quarterback doesn't help with that. Um, so I think that's something that Notre Dame could look to take care of and I, or take advantage of. And it probably goes hand in hand with not having a great running game, right? If you're not getting good rushing attempts on first and second down, you might be leaving yourself in some third and long situations and making those harder to convert um, than you would like. So I think Ohio State's offense is more big play dependent in the passing game 
um, so far, but it also is very good at those big plays. And when you have the receivers um, and Cade Stover at tight end that Ohio State has, even with an inexperienced quarterback with Kyle McCord, you can take advantages of, of defenses with some quick strike plays um, and some deep passes uh, to really get the ball moving. And maybe you're not sustaining drives, but you're still putting together scoring drives because of that. In terms of Ohio State's defense, I'm not sure there's an obvious weakness. I think it's pretty sound across the board. Um, the defensive line has, has a talented players. The secondary, I think, has continued to improve. I think that was an area that you thought that maybe Notre Dame could take advantage of last season. But I don't know that you go into this game saying, well, I don't know that Ohio State has a lot of talent in the secondary. I think they're pretty talented back there. Um are they more talented than NC State? I think I don't know. I think NC State is very talented in its secondary as well, and we saw Notre Dame with some ups and downs in the passing game that week. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what Notre Dame does. Do do the tight ends play a bigger role because the cornerbacks are doing a good job on the wide receivers for Notre Dame's offense? So those are some of the things that I think stand out to me in terms of strengths and weaknesses. What do you see, Eric? Is there anything that I'm not seeing? Or do you disagree with anything I said? I, I don't disagree. I, I mean, the third down thing baffles me. Um, the running game baffles me. I thought Ohio State would be really good there, and maybe some of it is offensive line related. Ohio State dominated the lines of scrimmage, especially when they had to in the second half. Mm -hmm. um, I, I am wondering about the competition they faced as far as a deep passing game. That's really where Michigan got them. Ohio State was pretty highly rated in most defensive categories until the end of the year, and then they got exposed late in the year. And I'm it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I know from our Ohio State rival site, those guys felt like the biggest question marks would be the secondary going into their training camp and so forth. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I mean, that's why they're – ranked as high as they are, you know, right. is, is that they're, you know, usually live up to their preseason billing. They were a top five team when Notre Dame played them last year. They were a playoff team at the end of the year. They came very close to playing TCU for a national championship. They came a missed field goal away from playing for a national championship, even though they got run by Michigan. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't see a lot of weaknesses. And I think that's what makes, Saturday's game, that's one of the things that makes it so exciting. Um, so, Tyler, from Notre Dame's standpoint, what have, what have you learned about Notre Dame in these first four games that maybe you didn't know going into the season? What do you know for sure? Because I'm sure there are some questions still in your mind about parts of the team. Yeah, I mean, I think not just like – I think we understood Audric Estime is Notre Dame's lead back, and he is a very good one. I think the ability to make long running plays happen, I think, is something that I don't know that I would have anticipated from him specifically, and Notre Dame's ability to create rushing lanes, and not just for him, but for Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think that is something that I feel confident in, that those guys have the ability to make guys miss and, and, and run through guys at the second level. Um I think certainly we know what Sam Hartman is and can be. There's so much tape and evidence out there. Um, 
certainly we needed to see it in a Notre Dame uniform to confirm that it would still sort of be what a, a version of Sam Hartman that could be very successful at Notre Dame. Um, but he's he's done just about everything you could have asked for him um, in his first four games at Notre Dame. I think the defense has been pretty good in the secondary, which was a little bit more surprising. I think that those guys have done a better job than I anticipate, even though like they're not playing the, the they're not playing Ohio state's passing offense on a weekly basis, but I think the secondary has been good. The safety positions is one thing that I had questions about. And I think they've done a good job for the most part, um, even handling DJ Brown being out um, against central Michigan. So I think there's a, a lot of different things there that the questions I think are some of the same questions we've talked about for a while. Um, whether it's the wide receiver playmaking ability, the defensive pass rush. Um, but I do think we've seen some things in the first four games that make you feel better about Notre Dame's chances against Ohio state. Although I think the central Michigan game, I mean, mostly the first half made you like, man, what, what's going on here? And so you wonder was, is that an attention issue? Did Notre Dame sort of take that for granted? Um, what what the issue was there? I, I don't know that I can identify that for certain. I think it was an epidemic, Tyler. <laughs> I, when I was doing my top, you know, my Super 16 poll, I still do a top 25. I was looking and a lot of the teams in the top 10 in the top 25 had first halves like that. Yeah, and and even like Texas, it was three quarters against Wyoming. It was ten ten going to the fourth. I'm sorry, back to your thought. No, you're good. And and but that hasn't been what Notre Dame has been so far this year. We've seen Notre Dame be able to sort of start fast and be able to have that success. Certainly, there was a little bit delayed part, <laughs> with an uh, an added delay with the weather against NC State. Uh, but I, I think um, Notre Dame's inability to start fast and just sort of blow out Central Michigan wasn't the best uh, of of feelings going into this Ohio State game, but I, th- I don't know that a lot of it matters. I think some of the concerns will remain concerns from that game. But um, and, and I guess lastly, I wanted to hit like the one thing that I think that has been valuable for Notre Dame that they're playing Ohio State in their fifth game of the season is that Playmakers on offense that have been maybe that are inexperienced have had an opportunity to get that feeling of making plays in big moments, whether it's Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Greathouse, Jeremiah Love, Holden Stays. Notre Dame had some talented pieces on offense that haven't been in, been in a lot of these big moments um, that it will be playing in this week. Um, and so I think that it has been beneficial for Notre Dame. The flip side is I, I think if you ask me, would it be better for Notre Dame to play Ohio State week one this season versus week five or week four, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but Ohio or Notre Dame's fifth game. I think given the quarterback situation, I probably would have preferred Notre Dame to play Ohio State in the opener because you feel like you have even an even greater advantage at that quarterback position with the Kyle McCord's inexperience. What are your what are your thoughts, Eric? Would you do you think Notre Dame is better off playing Ohio State this week and what it's been able to learn about itself going into this game, or would it have been better off to play Ohio State in that in that first game? I think from the McCord standpoint, yes, I absolutely agree with you. Um, but I would not have – I would rather have Navy out of the way <laughs> and not have to deal with that weird curveball later in the season. I, I also do think that there are some advantages this far. I think Notre Dame's been able to work through 
some things with um, with their defense, even though there were spots last week. Maris Leofow kind of disappeared. I think part of that was J.D. Bertrand being out of the game. And not that Jack Kaiser did a bad job. He was the defensive player of the game. Um, but I think Tobias Merriweather and Rico Flores have some confidence now, and that's really important at that field mm-hmm. receiver position. Um, and and I think the offensive line would have had less of a chance against the front seven of Ohio State if this were the opener. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's a decided Ohio State advantage still. But Notre Dame's at least given themselves a chance by being able to work through some chemistry issues. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that offensive line, but you're still seeing some inconsistency, some chop at the offensive guard positions. And you look at last year's game, and that was such a big deal. Four out of six lowest-ranked players by pro football focus in the film grades were offensive linemen in that game. And the top run blocker in the game was Braden Lindsey. And his score was about a 63, which is about as meh as it sounds. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get to some questions that have been submitted here for so far. And as a reminder, if you'd like us to answer questions, go ahead and submit some here during the show. First one I have for us is from John Erickson. No one seems to mention that this is Heartline's first year as offensive coordinator. Is that because it's assumed Ryan Day is calling the plays? Well, I think it came up in the press conference today, and Marcus Freeman didn't make a big deal about it. I, I I guess you know, we're writing our first stories. I' not sure when we were supposed to mention that, but um, I, I think the direction of the offense hasn't changed very much. Brian Hartline was a great wide receivers coach. He's a former wide receiver at Ohio State, an incredible recruiter, and I don't see him saying, "Wait a second, this is my show now." You know. It wasn't enough that Ohio State was one of the most prolific offenses the last few years. Let's completely change this. So, I mean, maybe his inexperience, we haven't seen that yet. I mean, you can't separate. I would, I guess I'm not attributing Kyle McCord's maybe first two underwhelming games or whelming games to to Brian Hartline being the first-year coordinator. So... You know, Notre Dame's got a first-year offensive coordinator, too, and so far I've liked the way that he's adjusted in games. But Hartline is such a veteran of Ohio State football, I don't think it's typical of a new coordinator coming into a program where they got to get used to the Ohio State culture and everything else and the word the being in front of the school's name. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that Ryan Day's presence certainly is going to have a big impact on why people want to talk about Ohio State's offensive coordinator, whether they're a first-year offensive coordinator or not. Um, I think it's also something that gets talked about a lot more when there's more issues than when there's success. I don't know that offensive coordinators get talked about a lot if if you're meeting expectations, but if you're failing to meet expectations, then that topic comes up more. And maybe it's discussed more in Ohio State circles than it is on Inside ND Sports. But uh, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see, from my perspective, and in, in watching a game with him as the offensive coordinator, a full game for the first time, how he how he adjusts to what Notre Dame's throwing at him, what 
what kind of things that Al Golden can do defensively to maybe force Ohio State to make some changes and, and, and adjust and who sort of wins that battle between Ohio State's offense and Notre Dame's defense. And then, I mean, the same set can be said for Jared Parker leading Notre Dame's offense. We've liked some of the adjustments that he's been able to make um, with the Irish offense in games so far this season, but certainly the challenge will be elevated this week um, against Ohio State. Right, and keep in mind, Marcus Freeman has a very high regard for Brian Hartline. When Tommy Reese left, before Notre Dame got into putting a list of candidates together, Marcus was interested in talking to Brian Hartline, and Ohio State kind of locked him up, so there was no conversations. All right, uh, we got some offensive line discussion coming up here. Uh, let's go first to Len. Will Blake Fisher finally play like a near All-American? I expected so much more from his play. His play can raise the performance of the guard next to him as ultimately the entire line. I don't think Blake has played bad, but I understand, um, Len, your question about, because I think there was anticipation with him being a former five-star and, you know, being a, you know, opening day left tackle in 2021 that he would play at that level. That's certainly my expectation for him. I think eventually he'll get there. This would be good timing on his part. Why hasn't it happened to this point? I think some of it is playing with a new guard, you know, next to him playing with an inexperienced guy, probably the guy that has struggled the most, been up and down the most. I think Rocco Spindler's had some really good moments as well. I think that's probably what it goes down to. I mean, when we talked to Blake Fisher, his mindset seemed really good going into the season. Uh, so again, will it finally be this Saturday? I mean, that would be perfect timing. I think we'll see at some point this year. I'm not going to guarantee it'll be Saturday night. Yeah, I, I, I tried to do my best to pump the brakes a little bit on the Blake Fisher hype train in the preseason in that like he was being grouped with Joe Alt, which seems like Joe Alt is at another level. Um, he's had the experience. Blake Fisher has the potential and the talent to get to that level. And he just has to go out there and do that. And I don't think he has through the first four games of the season. I think the central Michigan game may have been his best game of the season. I thought he played pretty well against central Michigan. So hopefully for Notre Dame's sake, he can continue that against Ohio state. Um, but I think a lot of the All-American talk is like, well, he goes to Notre Dame. He was a five-star recruit. Um, and so I think people can sometimes get ahead of their skis when they're talking about what a guy will end up being rather than what he is at this time. Um, and, and some of that is based off projecting what, what folks thought that he would be previously. I mean, it's like – I mean, <clears throat> Blake Fisher has has had success, but it's like when Tommy Kramer used to be mock draft in the first, first round uh, when, when folks were – doing analyzing Notre Dame. It's like, are you even watching Notre Dame? Or are you just seeing a guy that used to be a five-star recruit that's an offensive lineman at Notre Dame, so he's going to be a first-round pick? And I thought Blake Fisher was also in that category where people were putting him in the first round of next year's draft. I was like, well, yeah, maybe he can get there, but that seems a bit aggressive to assume that he's going to get there um, going into next season. So um, I still think Blake needs to improve his game, um, whether it's – just foot speed um, and reaction time um, against his opponent, 
Uh, and, and certainly maybe there's some hesitation playing with a new guard next to him. Um, and at that one that I, I think is struggling, I think Rocco Spindler has been the least consistent offensive lineman for Notre Dame this season. And so I think all those things sort of go into it, but um, Blake Fisher can still have a very successful season and not be an all American. I think, I think it would be a little bit unfair to say it's a disappointment if he's not an all American this season. All right. This is a bit similar. So maybe there's not much to add here, but Mike, the voice said what's going on with the right hand side of the O line instead of Rocco improving in technique. It seems he isn't making progress and Blake Fisher is regressing. Am I overreacting? I think you're just reacting, Mike Devoy, to what you see. But again, I think it's a process. It's not an event with Rocco Spindler. There was a long, you know, audition for those guard spots. And it would, I, I would say, look at it as an investment. And I would try to equate it. Now, again, that doesn't mean the investment's going to necessarily pay off. But look at what Notre Dame did with Ben Morrison last year. I mean, he was out there against Ohio State against C.J. Stroud as a true freshman who came in in June, didn't have the spring or anything. Mm -hmm. And through, I think, the first six or seven games, his pro football focus rating was no higher than like 62. And then all of a sudden he gets to the Clemson game and it's 90-something. And it was like that for the rest of the year. And he ends up being Notre Dame's second highest rated defensive player last year. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Rocco Spindler, but I think Joe Rudolph's expectation is at some point we're going to see this noticeable jump and then consistency. And so this is part of the process. Now, again, there there's times that that doesn't play out in 2021 Notre Dame made some changes when, when they plugged in Joe Alt, they also plugged in a new left guard. They took Zeke Carell out and they put Andrew Kostovic in when they put Joe Alt in because they wanted a bigger, more physical presence next to Joe Alt. So um, I think you're just reacting, but I think there is uh, there is a method to this madness and maybe we'll see it play out here soon. I yeah, can't believe I, I just did that cliche. <laughs> I, th I mean, I, I think it's fair to wonder why isn't the right side more dominant than it has been, um, especially against some of the opponents that Notre Dame has played against. And so I think that's a, an area of focus for Notre Dame offensive line coach Joe Rudolph to, to make sure that those guys are continuing to progress, understanding the mistakes they made, why they made the mistakes they made, um, and addressing those. And I think some of those things only come with time. And Yes, Blake Fisher's a junior, but he he missed a lot of time as a freshman. He played a lot, certainly, last year as a sophomore. But he can still be learning. It's not like he knows everything about playing offensive tackle at the college at, at the college football level. Um, and sometimes it takes one moment to sort of flip the switch and, and give you that confidence you need. I, I wrote extensively about Benjamin Morrison before the season after a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him this summer, and he – he thought the Syracuse game was like the worst game he ever played. Like he thought that Notre Dame's coaching staff was going to bench him and he wasn't going to play again. And Marcus Freeman sort of said, Hey, it wasn't that bad. Like, yeah, you had a pass interference. You gave up a touchdown, but we think we're still confident in you. We're going to keep putting you out there. And sure enough, he took full advantage of that against Clemson. Um, so I think that 
Um, maybe something happens like that for Rocco Spindler or Blake Fisher this season. Uh, I think it's anyone's guess in terms of what may happen for them, but the talent is there. And that's, that's, you want to start from that point and then you can sort of build off it from there and find ways to uh, continue to get better. All right. I'll give you another one from John. I'm not expecting you to have an answer for this one, but uh, it's a worthy topic. At least do you know what the record is for forcing the most fumbles without recovering any? Think we have a shot at that. (laughs) I think that's more rhetorical. I hope it is Um, that I don't think that they're, they do keep that record, but yeah, they have forced Notre Dame's forced up bunch of fumbles they haven't recovered i think the closest one was where jack kaiser was ruled out of bounds in the navy game in ireland so on this continent they haven't been particularly close to recovering the forced fumbles but uh um, i think eventually they will they force enough of them they're going to get some of them yeah or the one that jd bertrand actually recovered but they decide for some reason that, that that navy had recovered the fumble before jd bertrand recovered it um, so it didn't even count as a fumble. That was a very strange uh, play that uh, didn't really make international a lot, rules make a lot of sense. I think the number's up to nine if I if I, my memory is serving me correctly um, in terms of fumbles forced, um, but zero fumbles recovered. Um, so maybe I think maybe at some that point is a record. I, at some point, I think it's sort of the the numbers come back to the mean. Like Notre Dame's gonna get some luck at some, although they. Uh, they had some bad luck with that last year. Like, for instance, I think it was the Stanford game. Notre Dame forced a couple fumbles and just couldn't recover it. And then, of course, Audric Estime fumbles and Stanford recovers it. Uh, so I think it's something that they're working on, they're focusing on. Um, there was even a play uh, in the second quarter, I believe, where a ball came loose late. Um, I think it was deemed after he was down or after he was out of bounds. Um, I think it was Christian Gray who stripped, stripped the ball and Xavier Watts tried to to tap it back into play so one of his teammates could get it because that was that was Jack Kaiser's criticism of himself in that play where he didn't recover the ball in bounds. Like if he's if you're that close, try to get it back in bounds and let someone else try to recover it. So uh, we'll see if Notre Dame does any sort of tip tip drill fumble recovery situations, but um, they're bound to get one eventually, and uh, it doesn't seem like it's for a lack of effort. So that's that's sort of all you can ask there. And I just checked with the ND stats. It says seven, which may or may not be accurate. So seven. I think I think it was seven through three games. I thought there was two more against uh, um, Central Michigan. Uh, with well, let's the, see if these stats are well, with this is through four games. So maybe they didn't count those. Yeah, because because Thomas Harper and uh, Jack Kaiser both forced fumbles against uh, Central Michigan, but neither of them ended up being recovered. Okay. All right, Rick, Rick Fairman asks, while, why does ND give up so many yards right up the middle? Is it the players? Sorry, that was hard for me to read. Okay, well, first of all, Rick, I saw your other question about subscribing. Rick is from Canada, and we have a little glitch with getting people from Canada sign up. But, Rick, I think we found a workaround. So if you can email me, I will walk you through it and maybe we can get you all back subscribed and everything to our new operation. I know that you were a big follower of us at the South Bend Tribune. So I appreciate it. So I'll get to your question. Why does Notre Dame give up so many yards right up in the middle? Is it the players? Um, (laughs) 
I mean, some of it is scheme. Some of it is what the defensive call is and what the quarterback from the other team sees. Um, you know, I think sometimes there are gaps because Notre Dame is blitzing, and that's even on running downs. This is not a defensive line that can generate the sacks the way it could when Isaiah Foskey and the Adam Malola twins were part of the offensive line. And so when you do blitz, you give up something. When you bring pressures from that second level, you're going to give up something. And what you hope you're doing is disguising that well enough that teams don't see it. And I think in this last game against Central Michigan, maybe, again, why there was more vacant room in the middle it didn't seem like Jack Kaiser and Marist, Leah Fowl, had the chemistry that J.D. Bertrand and Marist have or that Kaiser and Jalen Sneed have. It was kind of a different rotation, and they weren't used to working with each other quite so extensively, and maybe that's why we saw a little bit of that on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I don't think Notre Dame has, like, block eaters in the middle of their defensive line either. Howard Cross – can take on blocks, but he's not taking on a lot of double teams. And you expect like Notre Dame linebackers to have all kinds of room to roam. Certainly there were situations where Notre Dame had opportunities to tackle central Michigan in the middle of the field and didn't come through on that. So you have to limit those. Um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's layered the amount of reasons, certainly the lack of JD Bertrand and even DJ Brown. I think you yeah. can't overlook um, having the safeties being able to help, especially against the run up the middle of the, in the middle of the field, um, whether it's DJ Brown or Xavier Watts, and maybe Xavier Watts plays a little bit differently when he's not next to DJ Brown. Um, so I think those things all sort of play on each other. Um, so I think Notre Dame needs to do a better job. I think getting Gabe Rubio back would, would be helpful there um, for all the promise that I think Donovan Heinish has. I don't think he's as stout inside as he will be eventually later in his career. Um, he's still growing and, and becoming more of a, a, uh, a block destro destroyer inside. Uh, so I, I think those are things that um, Notre Dame struggled with. I think against, if you're thinking like the passing game, I think against NC state Notre Dame at first was giving up some yards in the middle of the field and, and sort of daring Brendan Armstrong to make those throws. He made some of them and missed some of them. And then it backfired on NC state and Notre Dame was able to, to sort of adjust and get some interceptions on, on some throws over the middle. So, um, I think there's a number of different things that Notre Dame can try to do to address that. Um, certainly when you have a less mobile quarterback, you should be, I think that frees you up. You don't have to worry about a spy getting rid of someone and, and making sure your linebacker is paying attention to the quarterback as much. Or you can sort of pay attention to his more traditional responsibilities. Um, so I think um, Notre Dame should be able to do a better job defending the middle of the field this coming week. All right. I got one more question for now. Um, it is from Eric Swope, who uh, submitted this before the show even started. Welcome to Deuce Day, Ohio State Week. Huge news, and please offer us a few details on this young man and the impact his commitment has on Ohio State Week. Is ND finally turning a corner in recruiting? Um, well, I would like you to give some of the backstory once once I'm done with this, because you worked on this story. But let me start out with kind of the more big picture stuff. So. Notre Dame had two pretty good four-star quarterbacks kind of in its crosshairs. Deuce Knight, who they've been, you know, prioritizing longer. He's a left-hander 
who's from Mississippi, transferred up to uh, high school in Nashville Lipscomb Academy, transferred back to Mississippi. Um, and it looked like maybe he was going to elongate his decision process to the point that Bear Bachmeyer from California was going to kind of sneak in there. Now, Bear Bachmeyer came and visited this past weekend, supposedly had a great visit. I think there was a lot of momentum there for commitment. And then all of a sudden, Deuce Knight commits today. So what does that mean? You're starting to stack some good quarter, really good quarterback talent. You've got C.J. Carr, the highest four-star in the 2024 class. He's one spot away from the five-star demarcation line. Deuce Knight is probably going to be in that four-star, five-star area. He's a high four-star right now. And I think Sam Hartman influences at least the Deuce Knight commitment. The mm -hmm. fact that Deuce could see what a Jared Parker offense looked like with an elite quarterback running it, something that Brian Kelly hasn't always been able to sell when he's gone recruit or quarterback shopping. So, and you look at Steve Angeli, the way he's developing, you have Kenny Minchie, who's an impressive four-star freshman. Now, again, these quarterbacks move around a lot with the portal, but I like where the quarterback position is finally going for Notre Dame. And I like the fact that Gino Gadouli is coaching it. I think he's done a really good job. I think Tommy Reese did a good job. And I think Gino Gadouli has certainly been a very good hire. Yeah. And Gino played a very big role. Deuce Knight is a big fan of Gino Gadouli. I think that was one thing that Notre Dame needed to overcome was this idea, especially with Tennessee being one of the biggest contenders that Notre Dame was going up against in this Deuce Knight recruitment is that Josh Heupel had a better track record um, with quarterbacks than anyone at Notre Dame. Um, and so I think even though it's a small window here with what Sam Hartman has done for Gino Gadouli at Notre Dame, certainly Gino Gadouli can point to Desmond Ritter um, at Cincinnati as someone that he had a lot of success with. So I think those things help Notre Dame. Um, and I think Notre Dame sort of having a full force push for him. Marcus Freeman was very active in his recruitment, which is what you come to expect with Marcus Freeman. Um, and that is, I think, goes a long way in Notre Dame's improvement in recruiting. It's sort of surprising that it seems like Notre Dame's offensive recruiting is better than its defensive recruiting right now, um, which I don't think that we would have anticipated with Marcus Freeman as the head coach because of his defensive background. But I think he's also making an impact on offensive players. Um, and so I do think that is helping. And you have some some guys like Chancey Stuckey and Dylan McCullough who are doing a good job of recruiting their positions um, where Notre Dame needed to take a, maybe a step forward at those positions in recruiting. As for Deuce Knight's uh, recruitment in general and how it sort of played out with Notre Dame's quarterback search. Yeah, I'm interested. Deuce was – I mean, Deuce was sort of – the guy for Notre Dame for quite some time. And Notre Dame offered him back in March. He visited in April. And at that point, he he sort of became the priority for Notre Dame. He came back in July. And coming off of that visit, Notre Dame felt really good about what it had done in Knight's recruitment, but he was not quite ready to make a commitment. Um, and so the longer that sort of played out, Notre Dame was like, well, we can't sort of just sit on our hands and wait for a guy that we think may end up coming here because look what happened with the Dante Moore recruitment just a year ago. Um, so Notre Dame goes out and offers Bear Bachmeyer in July, someone that has um, a little bit of an affinity for Notre Dame through his grandfather. 
and uh, a high interest in the Irish. Bear schedules his visit for the Central Michigan game and makes that visit. And I think that sort of put the pressure on Deuce Knight. It's like, hey, if you want to commit, the clock is ticking. Like, we we are not going to stop recruiting Bear Bachmeyer. I was told that Notre Dame would take a commitment from Bear Bachmeyer this past weekend if he wanted to commit. So he comes on campus, does not commit. That leaves the door open for Deuce Knight, and Deuce Knight does not waste any time in making sure, hey, I, w- I want to get in here. Let's 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 wrap this up. I'm ready to decide. It wasn't like his interest in Notre Dame wasn't high already, but it was, I think this weekend sort of was the turning point. Like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I I think Bear Bachmeyer Bear Bachmeyer's situation maybe helped Notre Dame in saying, hey, like we're we want to we want to win. We need a quarterback. If you the opportunity is here for you, we're not stopping recruiting. Notre, we're stopping recruiting you just because we're bringing Bear Bachmeyer on campus. But we're trying to get better. And whatever one of you wants to get in this class first, we're going to take. And Deuce Knight became the first one to to raise his hand, um, and that is a good thing for Notre Dame because I think if all things were the same, Notre Dame would have liked and preferred Deuce Knight over Bear Bachmeyer, and so I think it's played out in a in a way that that Notre Dame can be happy about. And going back to the Sam Hartman thing, I realize, again, Ohio State's third in the country in total defense. They haven't played a defense like that, although NC State last year was a top 20 defense, and they have a lot of those guys back. But Sam Hartman has put up four straight games of a pass efficiency rating of 200 or better. Brady, to to give you, and I had this in my column on late Saturday night, Brady Quinn had four in his career. Jimmy Clausen had four in his career. Ian Book had three in his career. So to put four in four consecutive games is is pretty impressive. I don't expect him to be in the 200s this week, but if he can give you something between 150 and 200, I think that's going to have Notre Dame in the game in the fourth quarter. All right. Uh, What else do you want to discuss, Eric? Okay, let's go to the pop and the circumstance of this game. So we've got ESPN College Game Day. I'm does the Pat McAfee show um, belong in that sentence? Is uh, that a big enough thing now? Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's a big enough deal. It's uh, it's on ESPN Daily um, now, okay. and uh, it's about as big of a, a I think a live radio. Uh, the, it's not radio. I've but, seen of it. It's hilarious. I love it. So yeah, and they'll be on campus. I believe Friday is what Pat McAfee said, and. Uh, even with uh, some swear words in there. Uh, okay, <laughs> but, okay. Uh, we have green jerseys. We got LED wristbands, which I said LCD in the script. Um, and then how much scarlet do we expect? Because that's been a factor in some of these, you know, when Georgia played here in 2017, obviously Nebraska a million years ago in 2000 when Kevin White was the uh, – uh, athletic director, and I was standing right next to him when he first saw the red and his face turned that color. <laughs> so what do we expect from that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, who knows, but I I, w- I think, I guess I'm optimistic. I, I, I will tell you this. I mean, I'm an Ohio State grad. I have a lot of friends that are Ohio State season ticket holders. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that are Ohio State season ticket holders. <laughs> And I don't know any of them are that are coming to the game because yeah. they couldn't get tickets. Yeah, and so I, I, I'm optimistic that it will be more similar to what Clemson was like last year um, than what it was for, like, the Georgia game in 2017 or even the Cincinnati game in 2021. 
those games featured a lot of opposing fans. Um, and I think that there will be more Notre Dame fans representing at this game. I think Notre Dame's green out makes it will we'll do a better job of, of di- distinguishing between the fan bases. Sometimes Notre Dame's Notre Dame's crowd on a normal game, they're all wearing all kinds of colors. So you don't, other than the student section, it, it could be anyone, but um, certainly the contrast, it'll be a bit Christmassy in the, in the stands with the green and red. Uh, but I think, uh, I think Notre Dame should have a good showing. We'll see. Now, maybe there's a lot of Notre Dame fans that are wanting to make money off of their, their tickets, but uh, I, I guess I'm hopeful that it's, that it's not uh, a 50, 50 crowd as Michael Parks is, is, is suggesting. Right. And I, I was cracking up a little bit ago because I, every once in a while are reading the comments and John Erickson must be in my age group or a little, maybe a little bit younger, but he had deuce night in the pips. Which, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So anyways, um, so has Notre Dame and, and Sam Hartman been in enough of these games that this isn't a big distraction week that it's not, you know, cause we've seen some of these games get, go kind of off the rails in, in terms of distractions and hype and so forth. It seems like at least today, Marcus Freeman and Sam Hartman were, you know, kind of a bathing a normalcy a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when you're leader and leaders, when you, I mean, you talk about JD Bertrand, Joe Alt, Cam Hart. I think when your leaders have been through so many of these kinds of games, that matters. Even if there are guys that haven't been through stuff like this, they can sort of help set the expectations, set the focus. And certainly that has been a big talking point for Marcus Freeman, that it's not about Saturday. It's about Monday. Um, and it's about Tuesday. It's about Wednesday. So I, I think that that will go a long way in Notre Dame trying to not get ahead of itself or, or let the moment be too big for them. Uh, I think the atmosphere in Notre Dame Stadium should play in its favor. Um, you're, you're in a home crowd. Hopefully you get them to be quiet when you're on offense um, and make noise when you're on defense. Uh, so I think I think Notre Dame can sort of navigate this. Notre Dame has plenty of attention on it, whether it's playing Navy or Tennessee State. I mean, there's all, there there's not that – there are some more obligations that you have during the week. And I think the feeling on campus is probably a little bit different. The excitement from the student body is a little bit different during the week, but I think they're used to this. I think this is something that they're, they're accustomed to. Um, and I, I don't expect the moment to be too big for, for Notre Dame's players on Saturday. What about you? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was getting that sense. I mean, they may lose the game. They may lose it by double digits, but the thing is, in the four games against top 10 teams that Marcus Freeman has played, his record is one and three. This will be his fifth. They've been competitive in all those games. You know, the the biggest loss has been 11 points. Um, and then they've actually won one by three touchdowns. Uh, and that was the Clemson game last year. So I think they have a pretty good... I, again, I think if they lose the game, it's not going to be because they got caught up in the hype. And, you know, they'll let Obi handle that. So, um, 
The other thing that I think is really important in a game like this, and you touched on it very early in the show, but I want to go back to it, is how many of these games that Notre Dame's played against a top 10 team in the post-Holtz era has Notre Dame had the quarterback advantage in the game? Yeah, I, I don't know. I want. Yeah. Do you have an answer for me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. not not very often. You think about, um, you know, some of the Brady Quinn matchups, but even then, you know, USC usually had a really good counterpart. Like the Bush Push game was Brady Quinn versus Matt Liner. Right. So um, you had, you know, Jimmy Clausen, but Jimmy Clausen really wasn't the Jimmy Clausen that was accomplished until his junior year. And I think Notre Dame might have had one top 10 matchup that year. So in 2007, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the country in terms of pass efficiency rating. And in 2008, he was kind of in the middle. And you think about, you know, the Brian Kelly era, Deshaun Kaiser, maybe here or there. But in general, again, you know, they play Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Ohio State's got a you know, world beater quarterback in that game. So I think you you look at last year, it was Tyler Buckner versus CJ Stroud. And you look at the alternatives, Tyler, all three Notre Dame, (laughs) former Notre Dame quarterbacks played this Saturday for their new teams. Tyler Buckner for Alabama, Phil Jakovic for Pitt and Drew Pine for Arizona State in none of those games were pretty. Can you imagine one of those three starting this game this Saturday night? Uh, no, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> and we had to imagine that in the past, and we don't have to do with that anymore. Um, so uh, I know there's probably not many Notre Dame fans out there that aren't aware of the struggles of those quarterbacks elsewhere, unfortunately. Um, I think uh, I. Personally, I'd rather focus on Sam Hartman's success rather than the failures of the other guys. But uh, I think we we are seeing, and maybe even in an exaggerated form, the difference it, it, it can make to have the type of, type of quarterback that Sam Hartman is in your offense um, versus some of the other guys that have suited up for Notre Dame at the quarterback position. Right. Um, And I've said this before. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you all. No, you're good. No, it was just quite, I was going to move on to some questions. Go ahead. The um, and people say, Well, has Sam Hartman what has he done in big games? Wake Forest has had some big games. Wake Forest has been a contender in that division a couple of times during his time as a starter there. And last year, we were in the press box when the Clemson Wake Forest game was playing out, I believe. And I remember seeing him just chucking the ball down the field again. I got this, I got the stat line for you. That, that game was a double overtime game that Wake Forest lost 51 to 45. Sam Hartman was 20 of 29 for 337 yards and six touchdowns. And I'm like, this is the little guy that was getting beat up by Drew Tranquil when Ian Book made his first, you know, real start as Notre Dame scorer. I said, I can't believe this is the same guy. And you know what? It's not the same guy. He has really developed. And uh, so, I'm really eager to see how this plays out. Now we can go to questions. I'm sorry. I yeah, no, just one last one. There's been a lot of discussion in the chat, and so I wanted us to chime in with our, our predictions or thoughts. Who do you think will be the guest picker for, for college game day on, on Saturday? You know, that never crosses my mind, so I will go with Taylor Swift. 
<laughs> I don't think they could pull Taylor Swift. Um, especially, I don't the- even know what's the thing about Taylor Swift spending quality time or whatever <laughs> quiet time. What is that? I think it was quietly hanging out. I think it was the report yeah. with Travis Kelsey. I think. I don't know that many people. Well, believe. and everybody else, Notre Dame players, and oh, well, that's just a that's just a meme, Eric. They, okay. Once it's reported somewhere else, then okay, everyone. It's not just Notre Dame players. That every all across the internet, people are saying that. Okay, so that's why been... I say Taylor Swift. She'll be quietly <laughs> hanging out with Lee Corso. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> um, my I my prediction would be like Bon Jovi. It just feels like the the lane that that ESPN College Game Day would go down. I I don't know. The, the thing about – I don't know where, where ESPN turns for, like, a young and hip Notre Dame connection. Um, I think last week was The Rock. I guess The Rock isn't necessarily young anymore. I think he maybe would still count as hip. Um, but I, I feel like they're they're less young and hip and more a little bit stiff, in my opinion. Um, so I, I don't have my hopes up that it's going to be an awesome uh, Notre Dame connection that gets, gets the nod um, for college game day, but hopefully they can get someone – of uh, some interest to, to Notre Dame fans that um, won't be afraid to be a little biased. And that will be a good picker. Yeah. Eh, who cares how good they're picking? Uh, who's, who's, ta- who's who's taking the advice of The Rock anyways? You, you, you're listening to The Rock for, for game day picks? Well, after my pick em, um picks in week two, yes. <laughs> I'll listen to anybody. <laughs> I want to listen to Scott Clarice. <laughs> well, I don't know if you checked the pickup standings, but your boy Tyler James has jumped uh, into the number one spot there. Um, uh, okay, I'll week, copy so. off of your paper this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I don't have anything else, Eric. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we get going? Thanks again to Legacy and Heating and Air for sponsoring us. Hit the notification bell. Subscribe to our channel. We're almost up to 2,000 subscribers from zero of this time last year or close to zero at this time last year so that's all i've got yeah and we'll be back on friday with our place your bets predictions for the ohio state game make sure you tune in there that is the competition that scott clarity has been dominating as eric alluded to and uh we will uh, be back early sunday morning with our post-game takeaways with from notre dame ohio state i think um I, I know I'm certainly looking forward to that game. It's going to be a late night. Try to get some sleep uh, to, to be prepared for that. I'll let everyone else enjoy college game day while I'm uh, resting up to get ready um, for a late night of, of, of coverage for Notre Dame, Ohio State. But um, always look check out for, uh, all of our coverage on InsideIndieSports.com. Beyond what we're doing here on YouTube, we have plenty of recruiting, recruiting coverage um, and analysis that you won't necessarily find on our YouTube page that is behind our paywall. So consider subscribing to us on InsideIndieSports.com and have a good week.